1: Hello everybody and welcome to episode 164 of the Box Hard Podcast. I'm your host, Joey Coastman. I'm joined as always by Mr. Ayaz Sumra. Ayaz, how are you doing? I'm good, Joey. Yourself? Very good, my friend. Very good. Let's dive straight into the review part of the show. If you're not a Tyson Fury fan, by the way, you should probably switch off already because there's going to be a lot of ranting and raving about that. But we're not going to start there. We're going to start in a... Venue called the SunCorp Stadium in Brisbane, Queensland, Australia. Um, now this was pretty bizarre as well. Um, we we saw here Jeff Horn, the former welterweight world champion. He moved up in weight, two weight divisions, up to middleweight, and he took on Anthony Mundine, a man that is firmly firmly past his best. Um, Anthony Mundine 48 and 8, and obviously Jeff Horn 18 and 1 with one draw. That one loss came to Crawford. Um, It was for the vacant WBA Oceana middleweight title and the WBO Oriental middleweight title. Now, unbelievably, this card was shown on pay-per-view out in Australia. I mean, we moan about all the pay-per-views over here. I'd rather pay 15 pay-per-views a year over here than pay one pay-per-view to see what happened in that ring the other night. I mean... Jeff Horn hit Mundine with a shot. It didn't even look like a powerful shot. I mean, I reckon it, it, it kind of looked like I don't know if you've ever seen like two ten-year-olds having a fight. And you know, these guys, ten-year-olds, they're, they're not the hardest of punchers. You know, they're not full-grown adults. And I've seen literally, I've seen ten-year-olds have. Better looking fights than what I saw here. Jeff Horn landed a shot on Mundine in the very first round, and Mundine goes down and stays down. And um, you know he didn't even try to beat the count. He was knocked out in the first round. I mean that is robbing the bank in broad daylight. I mean it was absolutely dreadful. I mean it it really should be investigated. Um, Anthony Mundine. I mean, all the talk he was giving in the build-up, all this stuff he was saying about Jeff Horn, and Jeff Horn's flattened him there, and Mundine straight away retired right after the fight. He retired. I mean, let's have it right. Someone, no one. I should be saying no one should be having a pay-per-view worthy fight, and they're 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 that. Long in the tooth that they're actually going to retire after the fight. I mean that goes to show he just wanted to rob the bank one more time. And I mean I didn't watch the fight, but I've got that much passion about it. It was absolutely disgraceful from Mundine. Um, yeah, he he leaves the sport of boxing. Thankfully, his record 48 and nine, and Jeff Horn 19 and one with one draw. It's a fantastic big win in Australia. But to be honest, for people that are outside of Australia that actually know boxing, it means absolutely. Absolutely zero. So, uh, yeah, not quite sure what Jeff Horn's going to be doing. I'm guessing he's not going to be staying at middleweight because he's tiny for the weight. Um, complete bizarre that was (laughs) that was pretty shocking um on the undercard though a guy called ben horn made his debut um obviously zero and zero his record and he got in there against a guy who was also making his debut and i'm guessing ben horn must be some kind of relation to jeff horn and ben horn got knocked out in the fourth round of a four-rounder so in the final round he gets knocked out um, so yeah, very bad stuff for, for Ben Horn, but fantastic stuff for Jeff Horn. I'm sure he's earned a few bucks for the crazy Australian fans that actually paid for that. I know that a lot of Australians actually listen to this show. So, um, yeah, let me know if you felt that you got value for money. Um, moving out now to Italy. This one was the Metro Italy show. It happened at the Teatro Obi Hall in Florence. We saw, um... Fabio Turchi, his record, in fact it's Fabio Turchi, his record 15-0, and it's now 16-0, and he also defended successfully his WBC International Silver Cruiserweight title against our very own Tony Conquest, a knockout in the 7th round. Um, Very sad for Conquest really, because it's been quite a number of years now since he's had a you know, a good win. I think he's been very inactive. He hasn't really fought anyone of note recently, and I don't think he had the best preparation for this fight here. And unfortunately, I actually fancied him to to pull off the upset because this guy, Turkey, had never really been tested at that kind of gritty level. And... um Tony Conquest just couldn't provide a challenge for him, really, in Conquest right before the knockout. He looked at his corner and winked at him just to basically say, yeah, I'm completely fine, and then he gets knocked out about 10 seconds later, so very, very sad for him. Um, also on the bill, we saw Devis Boschiero, a man with an absolutely beautiful looking record. 46-6 and now with two draws. It's one of the best padded records I've ever seen. I mean, this guy it is just so padded. I mean, he must be warm all the time because he's so padded. Um, yeah, 46-6 and six now with two draws. He took on our very own Martin J. Wald. It ended up being a split decision over 12 rounds in favour of Wald. His record now 21-1 and one with two draws. Um, he also took the vacant WBC International Silver Super Featherweight title home. Um, also on the bill, topping the bill pretty much, Andrea Scarpa, former opponent of um, of O'Hara Davies. He took on our very own Joe Hughes. Another split decision over 12 rounds. It went in favour of the Brit once again. So Joe Hughes is now 17-3 and three with one draw. And Andrea Scarpa, 23-5. and five. And the belt on the line here was the vacant EBU European super lightweight title. Moving over now to the Olympia in Liverpool, Merseyside, United Kingdom. We saw one fight to mention over here. And this was a shock for me. I mean, we saw Sean Masha Dodd, 15-4 with one draw, take on Jordan Ellison, a journeyman with a record of 10-19. and 19. And Sean Dodd actually got beat on points over six rounds. So he's really gone downhill um, since the few fights that he was involved in on matchroom shows like, you know, your Cardle fight and obviously... Um, you know, Tommy Coyle and the rest of that. He seems like he's really lost a step. That's it for that one. Moving out now to the Paramount Theatre in Huntington, New York, USA. We've got one fight to mention over here. The return of former world champion Chris Algieri. 21 and 3 going in now. 22 and 3. A unanimous decision over 10 rounds against Ankel Hernandez, who's now 14 and 12 with two draws. Hernandez had never been stopped going in. And, of course, he wasn't stopped here. I said that last week. I said, to be honest, this is... He's a perfect opponent to get the rounds in and get back into the swing of things. Algieri, I think, won every round there, so it's good to see him back. He's been out of the ring for two and a half years. Uh, moving out now to the Centre Videotron in Quebec, Canada. We have a couple of fights to mention here. Let's start with the undercard. Alexander Tezlenko moved to 15-0. That was a third-round TKO against Edson Antonio, who's now 40-8 with one draw. Um Tesalenko's one to watch, by the way, in the heavyweight division. A good prospect from Ukraine. Moving up the bill once again, talking of heavyweight prospects. Oscar Rivas, he moved to twenty-five and oh, the former Olympian Um, representing Colombia by way of Canada. Um, Like I say, 25 and 0. It was a successful defense of his NABF heavyweight title and he defeated the previously undefeated Fabio Maldonado, who's now 26 and 1. Oscar Rivas has got a fight in about 3 or 4 weeks time against Brian Jennings in January. I think it's mid-January, so all the very best to Oscar Rivas. Um, Moving up the bill once again, it's now time to talk about the main event here. Um, Adonis Stevenson, 29 and 1 with one draw going in he took on the undefeated Alexander Gvozdik who has a record now of 16-0, but he went into the contest 15-0. It was for the WBC World Light Heavyweight Strap, of course, which did belong to Stevenson. I want to get down to the fight here. Round one, I think that Stevenson was straight on the front foot. Govozdik looked a little bit tense for me, actually. Stevenson did connect with about four or five left hands, which was um, a little bit concerning, to be honest, but Govozdik did take the shots well, and the defense was a little bit leaky from Govozdik like I say, but he did take the shots well. Definitely a Stevenson round. In the second round, the timing from Stevenson was so on point. I mean, he was connecting again with big left hands. Vosdick was waiting too long. He was being too patient and he was falling short a lot with his shots. So another round there for Stevenson. Now in the third round, down went Stevenson. It was two seconds into the round but the referee ruled it a no knockdown. Um, Stevenson took his time to get up actually. So it would appear that he was hurt. He didn't just spring back up as if, you know, as if it was a complete slip or anything and Gvozdik suddenly had a lot of energy like I think he he realised he really did connect and he tried to kind of finish him off right there but Stevenson Despite taking a few meaty right hands off Gvozdik, he did manage to see through the the trouble um, and the little bits of danger there. But the referee made a bad mistake. I mean, the replay showed it was a legit knockdown. It should have been a 10-8 round, which would have leveled the scoring on my card. But instead, Gvozdik had to settle for a 10-9 round in his favor. But yeah, the fight was hotting up at that point. In the fourth round, I felt it was a very close round. Stevenson started well, but Gvozdik finished very well. Probably... If I had to, I'd probably edge it to Gvozdik on the later work in the round. In the fifth round, Gvozdik was constantly circling to the left, making sure he was always moving away from Stevenson's power hand, and Gvozdik started to out-throw Stevenson at that point. He wasn't landing with much, but Stevenson was throwing singular shots too often, and it was a clear round for Gvozdik there. Um, In the sixth round, I felt that Stevenson came back into it and started to do a little bit less head-hunting and more variation in terms of his shot placement. I actually gave that one to Stevenson. Um, Round 7 was a great round for Gvozdik. He got through with a few big shots. A Gvozdik round for sure. He seemed to be matching Stevenson's pace and even pulling away in the last half of the round. Like I say, a clear Gvozdik round. Now, in the 8th round... um, Stevenson, you know, he was he was looking quite tired, I think, and Gvozdik was out working him and all round being busier. There was limited head movement from Stevenson. Stevenson was looking a little bit old in there all of a sudden, and for me, another round there for Gvozdik. The ninth round, I felt, was a very, very close round. Gvozdik probably just about did enough. It was a closest fight, really, after nine rounds, and in the tenth round, Stevenson connected with a lovely left hand, and he actually staggered Gvozdik, and Gvozdik held on straight away and he showed his ring smarts there, and then in the last few seconds of that round, um, Govozdik hit Stevenson flush with about five or six punches, which looked beautiful. But obviously Govosdik didn't appear like he really had that you know, the, the same kind of power that, that, that Stevenson possesses. And it was a very close round, but I actually edged that one to Stevenson, which is a little bit surprising, I think. Um, and then in the 11th round, Govozdik at one point managed to trap Stevenson on the ropes, and Stevenson looked in trouble, but Govozdik wasn't able to put him away. And then again, Govozdik hurt Stevenson and had him on the ropes. And then finally, Stevenson was knocked out. And after three separate incidents where he was badly hurt in that round, Govozdik did manage to finish him off with a number of clean shots both right and left hands and down went stevenson and the referee waved it off immediately and initially i actually thought it was a little bit premature but you know stevenson did stay down and he stayed down for an awful long time and then obviously in the aftermath of it all we know what's happened there stevenson um went to hospital um it was very very concerning and they've decided to place him in a medically induced coma so uh a lot of people at the moment have got adonis stevenson in their prayers um obviously he's got a very torrid past he's he's had a he's had a he's had an awful past really and he's not the nicest human being in the world but you know we all of course want him to, to recover from this but I think that is certainly the end of the road for him in terms of his boxing career which is a shame because it means that we're never going to get to see that that Kovalev fight, I mean both guys should have fought when they were both champions but Kovalev lost his belts and then Stevenson lost his belts and um, a major part of his health it, it could be, so um Prayers for Stevenson. We're all praying for Stevenson, and um, yeah, hopefully he makes a full recovery. But I think that's certainly it for him in a boxing ring. Um, but yeah, he's had a good career. He's made he's made a you know a decent amount of money, and of course he's reigned for a long, long time in that in that light heavyweight division. Um, but yeah, that's really it on that one. Did you manage to catch any of that fight there, Ayaz? No, unfortunately I thought you didn't. No problem. Let's move on then. Let's move out now to Poland. The PGE Toro Arena in a place called Zorgzlek. I think I had trouble last week pronouncing that one. But we saw our very own Ashley Theofane, 44-8 with one draw. He picked up win number 45. He made his opponent retire on his stall after three rounds. His opponent um, was called Bakhtiar Izgandazada. His record's now 11-16. and 16. Moving now to York Hall, Bethnal Green, London, United Kingdom. Um, quite a decent card, this one. I said it last week. There was a few decent fights on the bill. One of them was Yusuf Kamari. He moved to seven and zero. A TKO in the sixth and final round against David Birmingham, who's now eight and three. We also saw um, we also saw Jonathan Palata. He moved to three and zero. A win against the undefeated Michael Lukakic, who now has a record of one and one with one draw. Um, he was undefeated. He was one win and one draw going in, so nice little points win over four rounds there for Jonathan Palata, a man that's being trained by Don Charles. Um, he's a heavyweight, by the way. Also on the bill, we saw Linus Shudofia, 10-0. and A lot of people very, very high on this guy. Um, he went to points over eight rounds. He won on points against the previously undefeated Michael Gazdick, who was 3-0. But Gazdick has had three fights in, I think it's three months. He's only been a pro for 15 weeks, and he's had three fights in 15 weeks, and now a fourth one. So, you know, I think he's 35 years of age. I expected Eudofia to get him out of there, but he ended up going to points over eight rounds there. Also on the bill, we saw Ozzy Jervia, he lost his, his, um... Well, he's winning record because he's now 6-6. Six and six. It was for the vacant Southern Area Cruiserweight title against Theon Juma, the undefeated 10-0 and prospect. He moved to 11-0, a TKO in the fifth round there. And then the rubber match. Miles Shinquin, friend of the show, 14-4. He stepped in there once again um, with Joel McIntyre, who had a record of 18-3. Both men had a win over the other one previously, so it was 1-1 on the unofficial scoreboards, and it was all about who would win here and emerge victorious and kind of shut the book on that chapter there. And Miles Shinquin managed to win unanimously over 10 rounds. He also picked up the vacant English light heavyweight title. On the back of that, Joel McIntyre has decided to retire from the sport of boxing so all the very best to him and I'm absolutely over the moon for Miles Shinquin and now moving out to the big one at the Staples Center in Los Angeles, California, USA let's start with the undercard here, we saw Jesse Bam Rodriguez move to 8-0, and a unanimous decision over 6 rounds against Jose Morales, who's now 8-9 and with 3 draws, the brother of Deontay Wilder, Marcellus Wilder he went to points over 4 rounds unanimously he won against David Damore. So Marcellus Wilder's now three and Also Julian J. Rock Williams, friend of the show, got a knockout in the second round against Francisco Castro, who's now twenty-eight and nine. Julian Williams is now twenty-six and one with one draw that one loss came to Jamal Charlo. Um, Robert, the ghost Guerrero returned to the ring. He got a knockout in the second round against Adam Mate, who's now 28 and 13. The ghost though has a record now of 34 and six with one draw. Mate was down in the first round and then twice in the second. Chris Ariola, He was in the ring. Also, he managed to pick up another win. That's win number 37. He's got five losses and a draw. He made his opponent quit in the corner after six rounds. It was a scheduled eight rounder, but Moreno Smith, um, decided he didn't want to come out for the seventh round. So his record now 20 and 11 with four draws also on the bill. We saw big Joe Joyce. He got a first round knockout against Joe Hanks. This one was for the WBA continental heavyweight title. Um, Joe Joyce, I as I mean, this guy is going through people like a hot knife through butter. I know that he hasn't really fought anyone on that world stage yet, but you've got to remember he's only I think it's this is his seventh fight here, I believe, or sixth fight, and um he's just absolutely obliterating people at the moment. I want to see him stepped up. They they're talking about the Ortiz fight already. I would love to see that next for him. Joe Joyce is doing
2: very, very well. I think he's getting fast tracked very quickly. But the Ortiz fights, I'm not sure if he's I would not I wouldn't go for that fight already to be fair. I think that's a uh, that's a bit early for a step up. But the fight I'd like to see between would be him versus Huey Free, I think that'd be a good step up for him. I think that'd be a British level. Someone like a Huey Free or David Price, I think that'd be a very good step up fight for Joe Joyce and then I would like to see him fight the likes of Lewis Ortiz. But I think I wouldn't fight him. I wouldn't I wouldn't wanna make him fight Ortiz because I remember the time when David Price was going very, very quick, he was beating everyone up and then when he fought Tony Thompson, Tony Thompson knocked him Tony Thompson knocked him out. Obviously it was a drug, was a drug cheat. We uh, beat him first time, and then it's that mentality. So I wouldn't, I wouldn't want to rush him. I'll wait until the end of twenty nineteen and make him have a big uh, like a step up, someone like Luis Ortiz.
1: Well, I mean, um, I don't think his management are going to do that. I think they're in a hurry with him, which is fantastic news for people like us and boxing fans. I mean, like I say, he's getting on in age, so all the very best to him Um, Joe Hanks to his credit I mean he did come and give it a go he did hit Joyce with a couple of big looking shots but that was about it Joyce hurt Hanks with a big shot and then Hanks actually with quite a delayed reaction he fell towards the ropes but he stayed on his feet and maybe the referee should have jumped in there but he didn't and then Joyce actually backed right up off of him kind of thing and he gave him loads of space which he didn't need to and the referee kind of looked at Joyce like why did you stop because I think Joyce thought the referee was going to jump in or he was At least suggesting, hey, you may as well jump in. But the referee didn't, so Joyce had no choice but to step back in and finish him off, really. I mean, the left hook was was the finishing punch from Joyce, and Hanks went down heavily. And I was very surprised, even trying to get back up. But he did try, and he fell down once again. The referee waved it off, and rightly so. Another quick nice work for Joyce, though. A step up for me is needed. I think Joyce is absolutely brilliant, and he's way too good for this level here. I think he's a rare talent that can be moved up very, very, very quickly quickly. Um... Moving up the card once again, we saw Isaac Lowe move to 16-0. He's also got three draws. It was a knockout in the fifth round against Lucas Baez, who now has a record of 34-17 with five draws. This guy was a a hell of a lot more experienced than Isaac Lowe, but Isaac Lowe's done well to get in there and get the knockout there. That one was for the vacant WBC international featherweight title. So not a bad little title there for Isaac Lowe. Also on the bill, we saw Luis Ortiz take on Travis Kaufman. Now, Luis Ortiz... Went into the bout with a record of 29-1, and and Travis Kaufman, friend of the show, 32-2. Kaufman was down in the 6th round, the 8th round, and then finally knocked out in the 10th round. I mean, this fight here was not great for me. I think Ortiz did not look good at all. It kind of reminded me of when he fought Malik Scott. There was nothing impressive about it. There really wasn't. Travis Kaufman did not come to fight. The fight itself, I mean, I'm going to really try and go through this as quick as possible because I don't want to bore people to sleep here. But Kaufman did not throw a single punch in the first round. I felt that Kaufman's tactics was probably to try and let Altis get tired, but, you know, he he didn't land anything and uh, Altis didn't even land much himself. It was a boring round there, but obviously Altis won for trying to, you know, press the action. He got off with a few jabs. In the second round, Kaufman came out in southpaw. I'm not quite sure why. Um, Ortiz once again was the aggressor. Kaufman did let his hands go a little bit more. He did land a nice left, but Kaufman was clearly boxing to a plan to come on strong late, it looked. Uh, He didn't really look like he was in the best of shape himself, though, but Kaufman was clearly thinking in there. In the third round, Kaufman got hit low, and he took some time, and then when the pair fought on, Kaufman decided to stand and trade with Ortiz, and he took a big left hook and a right hook that troubled him for a second, and Kaufman did get back to his plan, though, he kept the range, but still, three rounds to zero after three for Altis in my books. In the fourth round it was another round for Altis. he was getting frustrated though, Kaufman just looked too small, and he didn't look strong enough to dictate anything, Altis looked in control and he was winning every round, I was wondering if he'd tire or not, but it was such a slow paced fight in the fifth round it was another round for Altis, but Kaufman was more active than any of the previous rounds, he needed to do something, the pace of the fight was too easy for Altis, and in the sixth round that was the first knockdown round it was a 10-8 round of course for Ortiz Kaufman was down from a beautiful straight left hand Kaufman did get back up though and he fought well to be fair to him Ortiz was actually celebrating like the fight was over um in the 7th round, Ortiz won the round once again. He was just on another level to Coffman. It was easy work for Ortiz. In the 8th round, Coffman went down again. Um, he did once again get up, but another 10-8 round. A left hook put him down there from Ortiz. In the ninth round, again, it was another Ortiz round. He won every round, by the way. Um, he was too classy for Coffman. He was showing glimpses of pure quality now and then in the fight. I mean, Ortiz can pull off some real moves. Um, he really can. Very nice looking moves. And then in the 10th round and the final round, Kaufman was down for the third time. None of the knockdowns actually seemed to hurt him too badly but the scorecards I felt were going to be very wide I mean mine I was getting ready to type 100 to 87 I couldn't see how anyone could have had it any different and then just as I typed that out Ortiz then hits Coffman with a 6 or 7 shot combination and all shots were unanswered and he finally closed the show and the referee jumped in and Coffman seconds later didn't really look that hurt again he just simply couldn't defend himself so a shame for Coffman I think he showed quite a good chin actually Um, he was one ...one minute away from surviving the distance. So gutted for him, but yeah, it wasn't a good display from Ortiz. It wasn't a good display from Kaufman. He's come out saying that he wants to fight the winner of... um, ...I think he said he wants to fight the winner of White and Chisora... ...or something like that. Or at least he wants to fight one of them. I think he's not really in a position to ask for those fights... ...off the back of that performance. But we see stranger things happen in the heavyweight division. Lewis Ortiz now 30-1. and Um... Yeah, I want that Joe Joyce fight next. We mentioned that. Um, moving up the bill once again, we saw Jarrett Hurd, 22-0, put his IBF, IBO, and WBA super world titles on the line against our very own Jason Welborn, 24-6 going in, now 24-7. A KO in the fourth round. Um, Welborn was down and out from that body shot. Let's talk about it, though. The first round credit to Wellborn. I mean, he came out, he was straight on the front foot. Um, Hurd was kind of sticking to his boxing. He wasn't really mixing it up too much. He was throwing singular shots. He seemed like he was having a a, a good look at Wellborn, but Wellborn was pushing him back, and he actually landed a few nice shots. And I can't believe I'm saying this, but it was a Wellborn round in the first round. I I really felt like Hurd let him win it, though. It was so weird. Hurd just seemed to not really do much, and in the second round, Wellborn didn't have a bad round at all. Um, Wellborn hit heard with about five clean right hands but obviously you know he's not a puncher so Uh, They were scoring shots, but they weren't really hurting the guy. Um, I was so surprised with the performance from him. And like I say, in the third round, massive credit once again to Wellborn. He seriously did come to fight, and he didn't let the occasion get to him. He didn't freeze. I gave him the third round as well. I can't believe how competitive it actually was after three rounds. I mean, there was an argument to give him all three, but I think it was probably 2-1. And then in the fourth and final round, I mean... Once again, Wellborn was having an excellent round. I would even go as far to say it looked like he hurt Jarrett Hurd for a while. Um, You know, he had Hurd in trouble and Hurd decided to hit Jason Wellborn with two low blows, but the referee didn't call them. And then a few seconds after those low blows, Wellborn got hit with a right hand to the body and he went down. And it looked like he could have got up, but he didn't. I mean, he got back up at 10. He didn't look like he was too sad about being counted out, you know, fair play to Wellborn, unbelievable from him, Um, and it wasn't even at his weight, I mean, he went down in weight for that fight, so uh, all credit to him, I mean, he was a proper cherry-picked opponent from Jarrett Hurd, but I tell you what, he's I feel like his stock's kind of gone down a little bit there. He didn't look his invincible self. Um, Jamel Charlo got in the ring afterwards and the pair exchanged words and he looked very, very uncomfortable, actually, Jarrett Heard. But I'd like to see him win that fight because I don't think he's, uh, you know, he's not really a loudmouth guy. He's, he's quite a cool guy. He's very humble and, you know, he's the, he's the only guy out of all the champions at 154 that's actually gone and chased a unification. And, you know, he's come through it. So for me, I remember before that fight, I actually said that Aristotle. Landy Lara is the the main man at 154, and he beat Lara pretty easy for me. So, um, yeah, all the very best to Jarrett Hurd. Hopefully the the big fight happens with him and Charlo. And moving up to the main event here, I'm going to start with you here, Ayaz. Deontay Wilder, 40-0. Could he knock every man out that he's faced? Well, it wasn't to be here. He did not manage to catch Tyson Fury with a punch that would keep him on the floor anyway. It was for the WBC World Heavyweight crown. Tyson Fury went into the bout 27-0. And unbelievably, both men emerge with their unbeaten records still intact. Two minor blemishes, one each, but it was a draw. No one saw a draw come in at all.
2: Uh, let me say one thing first about the star. Tyson Fury got robbed. Every Twitter post I've seen so far, Floyd Mayweather goes, this is a, this is a joke. They all had Tyson Fury winning. The whole Twitter had Tyson Fury winning. From the start... Tyson Fury was boxing him out boxing him he, with the jab he kept hurting him Deontay Wilder all he kept doing was swinging and trying to land that right hand from the first round uh, you can see that Deontay Wilder was trying to land that right hand and Tyson Fury just kept jabbing and boxing him uh, every time that Tyson every time that Deontay Wilder tried to uh, swing Tyson Fury would uh, duck it uh, obviously Fury was boxing very very well Fury you can see uh, Fury was hurting Wilder as well at the times as the as the rounds went on Fury was still outboxing him Wilder, Wilder dropped Fury, and Fury still got back up and still uh, and made it to the round. Um, I gave, That was the round nine. And round 10, I gave it to Fury. Fury was still outboxing him. Uh, round 11, I gave it to Fury as well because he's still outboxing. Round 12 was the big one. Wilder landed that uh, right hand and then left hook yeah, and dropped Fury. And I thought, this, that's it. I thought, game over. This is Wilder's, Wilder's night. Wilder's done it. And Wilder, I thought Wilder's knocked him. It's like Fury became like the undertaker from the WWE and grows back up. You can see, uh, lot like my face was really shocked as I thought, "Wow, how can you get out from that? That that hook that Wilder did to yourself, did to him? Because everything, uh, every you can see, Wilder's done that punch with everyone. And he's he wiped him, cleaned out. But Fury said that because he, he's a fighting man, he would never back down. He will always get back up. Uh, once uh, once Fury got back up, he regained his shape and still was boxing him. But I gotta say, Fury got robbed big time, and I think he should. What he's come from, from the depression, and he said almost committing suicide and killing himself. I applaud him, and I think he boxed very, very well, and I think he should have had that WBC heavyweight uh, belt around him. Like Lennox Lewis said, when he went to America and he fought, he got robbed. Even he had Fury winning the fight. I had fear of winning the fight. That judge, I don't know what fight they're watching where they go five rounds to Wilder, 115, 111. I don't know what they're watching. Even I, I was watching uh, even Paulie Malignaggi's like uh, when they... Um, in the showtime showtime comment commentary, he like, said, what, "What what was that judge watching? He's like, I don't think they should be watching. I think they should be reviewing this case. Because tell me, let me tell you one thing: Fury won that fight. Fury got robbed hardcore. And I think if the rematch, I think Frank Warren should push for that fight. And I think that Frank, if Frank Warren delivers and brings it to him, I reckon Fury will. I reckon Fury will win that fight easily by comfortable points win."
1: Yeah, I mean a few things that you said that I want to pick up on, Iaz. Now, firstly, um, Paulie Malinardi. I mean, credit to him. He always tells it how it is, and all the people that don't like him, you know, I understand he's not everyone's cup of tea. But I mean, he he really does tell it how it is, and he says things that others are frightened to say. So credit to him. I'm very proud that he that he stood up and said what you know said what he saw. He he, he said it how it is, and he always does that consistently. Um you know you say a robbery there Ayaz, and and uh you know when it comes down to it we know that no close fight can be called a robbery but this wasn't a close fight this was a complete robbery i agree 100% i don't like to to use the robbery word too easily but this was a complete robbery i mean my scorecard was 115-111 in favor of fury i mean that is the exact same scorecard that the dodgy judge gave in the opposite direction to Wilder, which is absolutely shocking. Um... Let me just quickly go through the fight from what I saw. I mean, the first round was a close round. I don't think no one really overcommitted at all. I think Fury snatched the round due to the last little exchange which he got in. Um, they, they kind of both exchanged. and I think Fury landed the cleaner shots. It was towards the very last few seconds. Now, in the second round, it was another close round, but I think Fury nicked it on his earlier work in the round when he was actually doubling and tripling up the jab. I mean, Wilder got through with one or two right hands, but nothing telling at all. In the third round, I felt that Wilder started well and was very active. I mean he'd certainly up the pace, but Fury came alive down the stretch of the round and Fury did a lovely move where he spun Wilder on the ropes and he avoided I think it was a i think it was three punches. He avoided three punches and he came back with a nice one-two of his own. It was absolutely Perfect. It really was. Another Fury round for me. So I had it 3-0. to zero. In the fourth round, it was a very, very close round. I think that Fury got a bloodied nose um, in that round. And I actually gave that one to Wilder. I think that he possibly did enough just to nick it. But it was very close. And Barry Jones disagreed. He actually gave it to Fury. But, um, yeah, a lot of people had it 4-0 to zero, um, in favour of Fury. Of course, one judge, which was the the, the dodgy Mexican judge, he actually had it 4 to 0 in favour of Wilder which is just so unexplainable but I actually had it 3-1 Um, Wilder seemed to me like he was getting closer um, with his shots but he was certainly missing wildly at times as well in the fifth round again it was another Fury round for me a very close round though until the last minute of the three minutes I think Fury repeatedly just kept stealing rounds literally by a two or three shot combination Um, it was so close that round there but it was worrying because you'd think that close rounds would probably go Wilder's way which obviously on one judge's scorecard they did but for me I actually had it four rounds to one. And I wasn't being biased. I was really seeing this, um, you know, as straight as I could. In the sixth round, it was another Fury round. A very, very clear round for Fury. Not not really putting a dent in Wilder, though. Uh, I was very surprised that Wilder hadn't really let his right hand go. He seemed very gun-shy. He seemed like he didn't want to overcommit and get caught. And we thought that he would probably throw more right hands than Klitschko. But after five rounds, I think it was probably about the same. So I had it 5-1 to Fury. In the seventh round, I think that Fury won the round... Amazingly, I mean, Deontay Wilder was missing badly. Um, I had Fury 6-1 up after seven rounds. Wilder needed to win every round at that point just to earn a draw um, if there were going to be no knockdowns, of course. I expected closer scores, probably from the judges. I've written that here. But no matter what happens from here, I've written that after seven rounds. No matter what happens from here, what a performance from Fury. Now, in the eighth round, it was another Fury round, and that was the clearest round of the fight for me. I mean, Fury absolutely schooled Wilder in that round it was actually embarrassing for the champion and I was asking myself can Fury's fitness keep up with him in the later stage he cannot afford to lose concentration for one second and Fury did take a right hand in the last few seconds of that eighth round but I just couldn't believe that he'd fought the whole fight in orthodox because I thought that he'd try and box in southpaw, because obviously Ortiz gave Wilder a lot of problems and you know Tyson Fury's like a lot taller than than uh, than tis. So I thought that that could have been very, very interesting. But he didn't really stay in Southpaw at all. I mean, he was in Orthodox for pretty much the whole fight. Aside from a few seconds here and there where he'd switch it up. In the ninth round, down went Fury. I was very worried by the way he dropped. Um, I didn't think he was going to get back up. Because I know what... Wilder's powers like and the way he went down it kind of seemed like it was a little bit of a delayed reaction Um, Fury didn't really seem to go down from a hard shot but obviously on the replay I think it was a temple shot I think it was a short left hook followed by a right hand to the temple so obviously a 10-8 round but yeah it looked like a little bit of a delayed reaction but he did get back up and he responded fine now in the 10th round it was another Fury round and you said this Ayaz you know he came out in the 10th round after being dropped and he fought excellently Um, Wilder possibly was was tiring at that stage Wilder was missing a lot and obviously he tried to finish off Fury from the round before that Um, Fury was making him pay when he was missing as well and I just did not want Fury to get too overconfident. I I was hoping that Wilder didn't get a second wind and of course Tyson Fury needed to stay focused. Um going into the 11th round a closer round I felt both men were tiring but I was blown away that Fury's managed to stay that switched on and you know he somehow looked the fresher of the two in that 11th round with one round to go. I mean for me it wasn't even close on the cards. Um, and I've written here, don't get Reckless Fury, please God. And it was a 10-9 round for Fury in the 11th round. Then obviously in the 12th round, all he needed to do was stay on his feet and he would have won the round and and, and of course won the fight in the end. That, that 12th round knocked down um, cost him the fight. I mean he got dropped and it looked like he was out cold. I mean there was no play acting there. I think the the earlier knockdown there was a little bit of play acting. This was no play acting. It was a huge shot from Wilder. I could not believe that Fury got back up and unbelievably Wilder seemed to punch himself out. And then Fury when he got back up, he you know, he was on the front foot straight away. He was putting his arms behind his back. He was showboating and he was really kind of trying to finish Wilder off and he had some fantastic moments himself. So I cannot believe it i take back everything i say about about tyson fury's chin i mean let's let's be honest he got put down from the biggest puncher in heavyweight champion history and um you know he got back up both times, and people say that he didn't have a chin, including myself, I thought that Wilder was going to knock him out, that was my prediction, Wilder's going to win by stoppage, it wasn't to be, but let's be honest, I mean, Fury did so well to avoid all those right hands all night, he only got caught with two of them, and both the ones that he got caught with, I think he was pretty much riding them, so, you know, he took the full force off of the punch, but he still took a bit, and they still put him down, um, It makes it very interesting because obviously Joshua cannot move like Tyson Fury. So it makes me think that unless Joshua lands on Wilder first, then I think Wilder's got a big, big, big chance of knocking Joshua out. Um, Yeah, I mean, firstly, when it went to the decision, it was wrongly announced as a split decision, which made it very confusing. Because usually they would say one judge's scorecard, then another judge's scorecard. And then the final one, they then say, right, that you know they 'd read out the, the the final judge's scorecard and followed by saying it's a it's a split draw, but they actually said it 's a split decision, and then I thought what so that means one judge has give it to each fighter and then there's a deciding judge. To go with one of the fighters, but it wasn't done like that. I think they they read it out wrong. But you know, one fifteen, one eleven in favor of Wilder. That was absolutely criminal. I mean, like I say, it was a robbery because I had it the other way round. I had it one fifteen, one eleven to Tyson. And if I'd have given Deontay one more round, because I think I gave him one round outside of the two knockdown rounds. If I'd have given him one more round, and that was all you could do. There's no way you could have given him three rounds outside of the knockdown rounds. But he needed to get three rounds outside of the knockdown rounds to get a draw. So four rounds would have been him winning the fight. And this judge actually I think gave him um, was it like seven rounds to five? It was absolutely criminal. Um, You know what I will say, I, I credit the the American boxers out there that were so honest and went straight on Twitter to say it was a robbery. And I've written it down here. This is the, the, the following list of names that I've compiled that had the fight scored to fury. Now, please take note about how many Americans we've got here. Um... Firstly, I may as well read out the very shorter list and say the fighters that I spoke to or, or not necessarily fighters but people that, you know, are involved in the boxing world, trainers, managers, whatever that are that are um that are, you know, involved in boxing, three people I counted gave the fight to Wilder. Those people Clarissa Shields, as much as I love her she was so far off the pace with her scorecard um, George Foreman actually scored it to Wilder. I was very shocked about that and then Sergei Lipanets, a PBC fighter who actually picked Wilder to win before the fight. But here's a list of the people that scored it in favour of Tyson Fury. Andre Ward Lennox Lewis, James Tony, Shakur Stevenson, Billy Dibb Tom Loffler, Caleb Truax Gamal Yafai, Jamil Mel Herrin, Isaac Chamberlain, Thomas Williams Jr. Um, Terence Crawford's trainer, um, Leon McKenzie, Paulie Malinagi, Frank Bruno, Dave Caldwell, Zacharia Choa, Eddie Chambers, Anthony Sims Jr., Tony Jeffries, uh, Brian Rose, Sullivan Barrera, Carlos Takam, Carl Froch, Matthew Macklin, Michael Hunter, Hassim Rackman Jr., Gabriel Rosado, Devin Alexander, Regis Progray, Jerry Cooney, Joseph Parker, and Jay Leon Love, and also Darren Barker. I mean, all these people cannot be wrong. They're all former fighters, and to be honest, most of the names that I've ruled off there are world champions, so uh, they know the game properly, and there was no bias in that. Like I say, many of the people I've mentioned there are American, and they thought that Wilder was going to win. They were actually favoring Wilder. They wanted Wilder to win, but no, they could not make a case for him. Um... It's shocking, you know, what they've done here. I mean, I I just couldn't believe it. I I laid in bed after the fight and I couldn't sleep. I I was just sat there absolutely gutted for Fury. And to be honest, he took it on the chin and he shouldn't need to. And it just makes me sick because he's been robbed there. And I don't know what's going to happen. Obviously, the the rematch clause in the contract, it was all very confidential. We were told that there could be a two-way rematch clause. Which pretty much means that, you know, if Fury loses, then he can make a choice whether they're going to have a rematch or not, and vice versa. Obviously, Fury didn't get the decision, so I'm not quite sure what that means, because no one effectively lost the fight. So, can a rematch clause be exercised? I'm not quite sure on that. Like I say, they were very tight-lipped about how they did it. But, um, you know, should the fight happen again? I think, I think it, it kind of has to. Um, you know, a lot of people are giving Tyson Fury so much credit here. And for me, I as I don't know how you see it, but for me, Tyson Fury is the number one heavyweight in the world. And that's, you know, that's putting Joshua aside. I think that Wilder's got that unorthodox style where he doesn't really show you respect and he would just throw a haymaker. And, you know, it, it sounds crazy for a world champion to not really have much technique, but he is... He's he's so kind of weird with his style, but it works for him. It works tremendously. But for me, I think that, and I said it before, Tyson Fury would struggle more with Wilder than he would Joshua. And I think some people probably don't agree with that. But for me, I think on that performance there, which I cannot believe he managed to pull it out of the bag. I doubted him so much. Um, I think he beats Joshua with ease. Yes, I agree with you there. I still think Tyson Fury is the number one heavyweight. I
2: think he soon is going to reclaim his position. Uh, he reclaim his position of getting his belts back, and I think he will soon. I think, like I said, I think he's the number one thing. I think I truly believe he should have won the belt, but I think he'll he's going to get a belt in the future. I like I would, one thing I would like to see. I, I personally, if if the Joshua fight or Wilder fight to happen, he just, if I was Tyson say, I'll go for the manual Char belt.
1: Yeah, yeah, that's an option. To be honest, I didn't really think about that, but. I care so much about Fury that I almost want him to take an easy touch after that. Because I'm like, man, that was too early for you to take on Wilder like that. You know, he wasn't even 100% and he managed to do that. I mean, I just can't fathom what he's done there. I mean, I doubted him so much going into the Klitschko fight. I didn't think he had it in him. And he pulled it off. And then I doubted him so much. I didn't think he had it in him to stay away from those right-hand bombs that 39 other people couldn't, couldn't stay away from. I didn't think he could do it. And he did it. And I almost can't believe he could do it again. Like, I'm thinking, if they have a rematch, can I really side with Fury to, you know, to stay away again? Like, really? Like, he just keeps... Amazing me. Every single time I see him in the ring against a big challenge, he just amazes me. But for me, he's proved himself there. He's the number one heavyweight in the world. I sent a tweet out to the ring magazine asking that they should reinstate him as the champion. Now he's back active. That was a fight there where, you know, two of the best fighters in the heavyweight division got it on. And Tyson Fury didn't lose, so he should be reinstated, in my opinion. That'd be a great thing for them to do. A few other people, I think, saw my tweet and then started tweeting the same thing to Ring Magazine. Um, don't worry, I see you. And um, and yeah, I think that they should give him back his belt, to be honest, but I don't think they're going to do that. Um, I-, I feel gutted for him, because after all what he's gone through, man, like, he's gone through all of that for some BS judging. And now, you know... What does he do? Like, he, oh, yeah, we'll go and do the whole thing again. And hopefully next time the judging will be better. They're not going to come to the UK. I don't think they want to they come to the UK. They're not going to come to the UK. And, you know, if Tyson Fury fights like that again, unfortunately, even though it was absolutely punch perfect, it wasn't good enough because of that stupid judge. And even the English judge that had it a draw. I mean, what was he watching as well? Jesus Christ. I mean, I don't know what to say. Like, I'm completely dumbfounded by it. I think it's, it's, it's bizarre. It's horrible. And to think what that man's gone through, not just physically but mentally, to prepare himself. And it's all, it's all been for nothing. I mean, he got, you know, he got a heap of money and that's that. But, like, he's got no status of it now. Like, he's, he's, he's shown once again that he's the man. So, for me, he is the number one heavyweight in the world. I wasn't too sure, because if he put all that weight on... When he beat Klitschko, he was unquestionably number one, above Joshua, no problem. Then Joshua started picking up all his belts, and you know a little bit of me thought, oh, you know, it's a bit of a 50-50 fight, that one now. And like I say, I didn't even think he'd beat Wilder. And he absolutely played with Wilder. And I don't know what he does from here, unfortunately. I think Wilder, he probably won't want to fight him again, because... If he doesn't land that punch, then he's not winning the fight. It's as simple as that. He must know that. I mean, he knows he lost the fight. He knows he lost the fight. You know, if he doesn't land the punch, he's not winning on points. And he he didn't land the punch in this fight. He just got absolutely gifted a uh, you know a draw. And Fury being in better shape than what he was, he's probably going to not get hit with two big right hands and then get dropped. So, for me, I think Wilder needs to to not think about that. And a little bit of me wants, you know, because I do really like Fury, I want to see him take a bit of an easy ride. And for me, he's already proved himself as number one. He's number one again, even though he's not really in the best shape. I mean, he's done fantastic to get in the shape he's in, but he's not in the best shape as it is. And a few more fights or, you know, a few more weeks in training camp, I think a few a bit more time with Ben Davison, it'll all gel together even more. And I think he'd be an absolute fool. So I, I just want him to take a, a, a seat, you know, a, a, a little back seat. Um, I don't want him to obviously put pounds on again and all stuff like that. He needs to keep training. But give him an easy fight. Let Deontay Wilder and Anthony Joshua fight each other. Then the winner fights him. You know, let them guys go and put Miles on their clocks. He shouldn't have to do it again. Give him an easy little, give him Mangual Char fight. Give him that. Give him something to just keep him busy. You know, let them lot fight each other because that's, that's apparently the fight that Wilder wants. You know, let those guys fight each other and let Fury fight the winner. That's what I say. Um, what do you think, Ayaz? What would you like to do? I mean, obviously, we've got, we've got Anthony Joshua without an opponent. We've got a, a, a fight Date set for him in April. It's looking like he's going to be taking on the winner of White and Chisora. After after that fight the other night, I've got no interest in him taking on. You know, Dillian White's supposed to win that fight, so I've I've got no interest in seeing him rematch Dillian White. I think some casual boxing fans they don't even understand that that, that Joshua's already fought Dillian White. They have only found out about who Joshua is since he became world champion. They don't even know that the, the fight would be a rematch so I've already seen that. Now if Chisora wins, I do not want to see Chisora and Joshua. Forget that. That's not even a pay-per-view fight. Forget that. That would just be a punch bag versus, you know, versus an Adonis. Um, you know, I don't want to see it. So what do you think should happen next? Should we see Tyson Fury rematch Deontay Wilder? Who should Joshua fight in April? Should Wilder try and take that fight? And then the winner fights Fury. How do these three mix up? How would you like it?
2: I personally don't think Wilder is going to take the Fury fight next. I personally, I read Eddie Hansen, said is a surprise in the back. There could be another person. They said, Dillian White's a front runner. They're going to try and negotiate with Deontay Wilder. But there's another person in the running as well. But they don't know. They said it's a surprise. So, I still think Joshua's going to fight. I think Joshua's going to fight Dillian if he wins his next fight. Wilder, I think, is going to take just a normal, like, a defense. And, for me, theory, I think think he should fight. I think he should just fight Manuel chance, win that belt.
1: Yeah, but then let's say that, you know, Joshua, I'd pick to beat Dillian White again, because we've already seen him knock out Dillian White before. Deontay Wilder, you said, he's going to fight someone who, you know, we don't really class as a big threat to him it's going to be another you know another guy in the top 15 of the WBC rankings and then Fury's going to kind of go elsewhere and do his thing but eventually they, they, they do need to collide like what I'm basically saying is like forget about what you think is going to happen but what would you do if it was completely up to you would you throw Wilder in with Joshua in April or, no, or would I'm you up, or would you throw him at Oh, I'll
2: put Wilder in the street immediate rematch in the Fury fight because I think Fury remember this this is Fury's third fight and if Fury had another one more fight I think Fury would, I think Fury I think Fury should fight the Wild, take the Wilder rematch and go for the Wilder rematch again now, I think this time Fury will outbox him I think Fury will beat him this time easily if it was, if it was in England
1: yeah that's the only problem I mean for me I think the Joshua is obviously the money fight for both men but I think Um, if Fury fights Joshua next, I think he beats Joshua easier than he does Wilder, and I think he makes more money doing it, um, but yeah, Wilder, if I was actually Wilder, I'd probably think, do you know what, I can't risk getting beat again by Fury, I'm not gonna get two dodgy scorecards, you know, it's it's, well, I mean, bloody hell, you know, Canelo's been there, hasn't he, but, um... I don't think it's going to happen again after the outcry that we've seen here on a on a worldwide scale about this. Even the Americans saying it was crazy. I mean, this was this was just mad. Um, so yeah, I I I just want Tyson Fury to get another fight under his belt so he's even better, um, even better prepared for anything that comes his way, whether it's a Wilder rematch or a Joshua fight. And I'd actually love to see Wilder step in to take on Joshua in April, which is what. Eddie Hearn originally said he wanted Wilder for April. I hope that that happens. I would love that to happen. I don't think it will, by the way. But whoever he fights, if he's not one of those guys there, I'm not even interested in it. If he ends up taking on Dillian White again, or Derek Chisora, I'm not even interested. I mean, that fight is nowhere near the same kind of level as what we saw the other night. For me, Fury's number one. Number two in the heavyweight division, it's a it's a toss-up between um between... Joshua and Wilder. I'd like to see those guys fight each other for the right to fight the lineal and real heavyweight champion. Uh, the real the real boxing fans know. So I'd like to see those guys battle it out and then the winner takes on Fury. Um, in third and fourth place and fifth and sixth, it's, it's all these guys on the same kind of level like your Joseph Parkers, like your your Pavetkins, like your Pulevs, like your Dillian Whites. You know, those guys, I think, are all kind of like your big baby Miller. Those guys are all like third, fourth, fifth, sixth, seventh. I'd like to see those guys fight each other. But, yeah, it is what it is. For me, Fury got robbed once again. But he did mental health so, so fantastically. He he really has raised so much awareness around the world. And, um, yeah, everyone needs to, to, to vote for him to win the BBC Sports Personality of the Year. Um, please get onto that. That's so, so important. Everyone's vote counts. Um, and finally, just a good word on Ben Davison, a young man that stepped into a role that many people didn't think he could, um, you know, he could he could do. I mean, he, he filled the shoes of Peter Fury, and he did it very very well. He brought some fantastic experienced guys. In the corner as well, but um, he did a phenomenal job, so I, I take my hat off to him. But that's really it for the review part of the show. We've really gone through lots and lots there, but like I say, a lot needed to be said. But that's really it, like I say. Just before we wrap up part one, the last thing to do is to welcome guest number one. Ladies and gentlemen, please welcome the former two-time middleweight world title challenger. It is, of course, Mr. Willie Monroe Jr. Willie, welcome to the show. Hey, how you doing, mate? Hey, very good, my friend. Very good. So, Willie, first things first. Obviously, you've been a professional now for just over 10 years. It's been quite a while. But before that, you were an excellent amateur. I mean, your amateur record, unless I'm mistaken, was something like 128 to 14. I mean, that's that's sensational. What was your highlight, you'd say, yeah. in the amateurs, Willie?
0: Um, well, my first, I won three national titles. Um, we came very close to making the 08 Olympic team. I lost in the qualifiers to Sean Porter who ended up becoming the 2008 Olympic alternate. So, uh, I mean, that was pretty big. You know, we won Empire State Games twice. We won four-time Golden Glove champion. We won a lot of stuff. You know, I've been doing it since I was six. So, we are able to accomplish a lot and pick up a good pedigree, as, you know, and have a lot of fights as an amateur, you know what I mean, which suited me well as a professional.
1: Yeah, for sure. Now, you mentioned there about Sean Porter. Did you fight any other guys that are making noise now in the pros? That, you know, you fought them in the amateurs?
0: Um, a, a lot of those guys, I fought them when we were like kids, you know what I mean? But uh, a lot of, I mean, Sean Porter, Dominic Wade, um, me and, uh, I never fought Demetrius Andrade, but his big brother, who was a very talented middleweight, um, I fought him twice. Me and Booboo were on a couple national teams together. Me and uh, Danny Jacobs were in the same. Me and Danny Jacobs never fought, but we were on a couple national teams together. Um, so was Rashid Won All of those guys that were in that OA class, I was either I either fought some of them or on or national teams with
1: them. Excellent, man, excellent. And I know that you've sparred some top guys over the years. Um, I know that you've been in there with the likes of Marta Roja, Miguel Cotto, Austin Trout, Andre Berto. Have I missed any other guys out?
0: Uh, Randall Bailey, uh, Demetrius Andrade, me and him, i helped him out in a couple camps. He's helped me in a couple camps. Isha um, e. uh, Smith as well? E. Shay Smith, yeah, Isha e. Smith helps him. Usually everybody getting ready for Laura. They call me. <laughs>
1: <laughs> now, obviously, I want to go back in time a little bit to that Golovkin fight. You took him on in May 2015, Willie. Now, you gave him a lot to think about. I mean, it was a very competitive fight while it lasted. What do you remember from that fight? Because a lot of people, you know, a lot of people kind of found out who you were on a global stage after that. A lot of people in the UK, you know, they they really took to you after that fight.
0: Uh, I just found out that I could uh, I could stand and bang with the best. I was 19-1, and one, so I only had 20 professional fights when I took that fight. But, you know, I also understand that in this business, you know what I mean, up until now, now that I'm signed with Al Heyman, you know, I never had a, a big push or like, a, you know, money or the right promoter or the right management behind me. There's always some screwy stuff. So, you know, I understood that in this boxing business, you need somebody like Al Heyman behind you. To, uh, to, to to help you uh, excel because, you know I mean, no matter how talented you are, how good you are, how hard you work, if they're not making the right moves on the business, and it could be to, to your demise. And, uh, you know, I just learned that it was just a couple of different turns I had to take, but at the same time, I'm a firm believer in God, and I believe that God makes no mistakes, and uh, that's what led me to where I am now, and I'm just blessed.
1: And then, of course, your next world title attempt was in London. I was ringside for that fight when you fought Billy Joe Saunders. I remember being pretty disgusted with some of Billy's, you know, his antics in the build up to the fight. It was sad to not actually see you come out victorious, if I'm being completely honest. Um, How good is Billy Joe, Willie? Were you surprised by anything on the night from him?
0: I wasn't surprised by anything, Brian. It wasn't, you know, it was more of one of those things, like I just said, the business and the moment and how it took place rather than the fighter. You know what I mean? Uh, you know, like Golovkin, that was a hard fight. Billy Joe Saunders wasn't a tough fight, but just everything that was going on. And I don't know if you remember around round five, a girl and her boyfriend got beat up ringside. And um, that they were right in front of my brother, and the girl was from my hometown. And for a couple rounds, I kept asking my coach in the corner, is my brother okay? Because I thought they had jumped on my brother. And... You know, um, it, it, it just it just took my mind out of the fight, man, because I don't care about a fight or, or what happens in a fight. You know, that's my little brother. And it was just a real nasty event. And if you watch the fight around round 9 or round 10, I started picking up and, like, really fighting because I started hearing my brother scream from the other side of the ring. So then I knew my brother was okay. Well, uh, the thing that was on my mind mostly was whether my team and my brother were okay because it was only eight of us over there. And it was fights going on in the crowd. They jumped on, you know, some people that I knew. And I was more worried about what was going on outside of the ring rather than what was going on inside of the ring. It was a lot plaguing my mind. And I don't make any excuses, but that's just a fact. But, you know, I mean, Billy Joe Saunders and his team and and Frank Warren, they are who they are. And they understood that Willie Monroe is is somebody that we can't just be on a fair level. So we got to, like, really shake this dude up and make things really, really uncomfortable so we can have a chance of winning. And they did that. But then again, God makes no mistakes, because had I won that fight, yeah, I would be WBO middleweight champion, but I would still be stuck with the promoter I was with, and I was in a bad contract. You know? But that fight allowed me to become a free agent. A few months later, I signed with Al and I fought twice, and here I am in a big fight. So sometimes God's rejection is God's protection at the same time.
1: I like that little saying there, um, but yeah, I mean, some of the stuff that went on outside of the ring, mainly surrounding that event before and during, as you mentioned, there was, I mean, it was quite horrific, to be honest, I was i was deeply embarrassed, if I'm being honest. Um, I know that you, you know, you've not had things easy, you mentioned there you were stuck in a bad contract, you were quite inactive for a period, you had a baby on the way, and you know you had a date for the baby to be due, but no fight date, um, and like like you say, it was just before the Saunders fight some people don't really understand the struggles of what it's like to be a boxer sometimes are things much better now it seems like they are and I'm happy to hear that yeah
0: you know I'm blessed I've been uh obedient and and you know I've just been trying my best to just be a good person you know what I mean because boxing is what I do it's not who I am there's going to come a point where boxing is over and I still just have to remain a good person and God has blessed me through all of this you know um it's a tough sport and it's not that it's not that people don't know. They also just don't care to know because people want to stand on their own beliefs. So I'm um, I i have not even tried to um really I'm just happy. I'm I'm in a happy position. You know, I don't have to work a job right now, you know, thanks to Al Heyman. You know, I've got I got a nine week notice on this fight and then, you know, team Heyman also sent me money to prepare for this camp, you know, I these other fights I was preparing for, I was like this like the Gabriel's auto fight. You know, um, I was I was almost back to working a, a full-time job when I took that fight, and I took that fight on a three-and-a-half-week notice. So I went into a, a, a world, I went to a championship fight and fought for the, the WBO Intercontinental. It was 12 rounds. It was on pay-per-view in front of 52,000 people, and I got a three-and-a-half, a 26-day notice, and I went in there and did great, you know what I mean, and won the fight, you know what I mean? But when you look at the fact that I'm with Al right now, I got a nine-week notice on this fight, I don't have to work a job, and Al sent me camp money to prepare, and I've, I've been able to pull in some good sparring. Like, we've been sparring with six four crews away to- pre- to better prepare myself for this fight. And, you know, I think you're just going to see a different Willie Monroe. I've had time to just really prepare for Jamal Charlo rather than other things. You know, I've even... You know, moving to a separate apartment for the last five weeks leading into this fight and being able to just focus going on to the gym and back, not going to the gym and then coming back home, taking care of a family, being dad, being husband, having to work a part time under the table job to keep a little money in my pocket. I've been able to focus strictly on fighting Jamal Charlo and you're just going to see a different fighter this time.
1: Excellent, man. I'm very pleased to hear that. And like I say, getting on to what's going on now, you've bounced back um, from the, from the Billy Joe fight with two back to back wins—one in March, one in August. Both of those fights went the distance, but you've shut out your opponent on five of the six total scorecards. And now you step in against Jamal Charlo on December 22nd in New York. How do you rate Charlo amongst the likes of you know of, of the guys that you've faced in the past, like Golovkin, like Billy Joe? Where does he rate?
0: Uh, he's a good fighter. He's a, you know, he's, he's tall, he's rangy, he's got boxing ability. Obviously, he's strong. I mean, he's a great out He's an awesome athletic fighter. I and mean, he's WBC champion for a reason. It's not like, you know, I mean, they just gave him the belt. You know what I mean? He, he worked his way there. But, I mean, he's going to be in there with a totally different monster come uh, December 22nd. You know what I mean?
1: A lot of people kind of rate him really highly at middleweight, despite not really fighting anyone fantastic just yet at middleweight. I think you're going to be his first proper test. Um, do you think people are kind of jumping it, you know, jumping the gun a little bit too soon with him at 160? Well, that's
0: up to me to show that on, on December 22nd. You know, I mean, if, if if he can beat me, then maybe they're not jumping the gun. You know, I mean, if I win, then maybe he need, Once I win, I should say. Maybe he needs to recalibrate and 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 really try to reassert himself at, at middleweight. But we'll find all of that out on December 22nd.
1: And coming down to the last couple of questions now, Willie, I wanted to get your reaction to, 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 to Deontay Wilder and Fury on the weekend. I'm guessing you must have watched it. Who hasn't? What was your reaction?
0: I, I think the draw was right because, you know, I'll I tell you this. I have major, major, major respect for Prince and Fury because any other heavyweight, any other human heavyweight, (laughs) King Kong wouldn't have gotten. I'm not talking about Luis Ortiz. I'm talking about King Kong, the actual King Kong, wouldn't have got up from that right hand. And Tyson Fury, he willed himself and got up. He's, he's, He's definitely a different monster. And he showed that he has, I mean, to be as big as he is, and to be as athletic as he is and to have fast hands and good defense, you know what I mean? Like he showed, I mean, he showed a lot of that in the in the, uh, in the Klitschko fight, but this fight showed why he's an awesome heavyweight. And this fight also showed me that Deontay Wilder can find a way to overcome and, and get back to it. His right hand is from another universe. And I personally think a rematch should definitely happen because now that they know each other a little better, Deontay Wilder can go back, he can work on this. he could work on putting his punches together better, he could work on using more than just his right hand. He knows where he falls short sat and he knows where his strong points are. And we'll see if he can come back and deal with the defense and the slick and the trickiness of the Gypsy King. But I just think, personally, I think they're the two best heavyweight next to uh, Anthony Joshua. I think Anthony Joshua is uh, a freaking awesome heavyweight also. But, um, man, I, it's just exciting. The heavyweight division is back exciting because of Deontay Wilder, because of the Gypsy King, because of uh, Deontay Wilder, because, I mean, um, um, Anthony Joshua, big baby. I mean, the heavyweight division is just coming back. I just can't wait to see more fights.
1: I second that, I agree 100% and I've got two questions left so I'm going to kind of merge them together um, it's a bit of a tradition that we do everyone that we speak to during the month of December, we like to ask what's on their Christmas wish list in terms of what can they do um, you know, f- for 2019, so I want to ask you in a realistic world, what can you do what do you wish for that can happen in, in your career in 2019 and just before we let you go, also um, to merge this in as well do you have any kind of closing final words for our listeners um just before we let you go
0: yes i can answer both those questions uh 2019 i'm just going to uh take everything that i put together especially with this win that i'm gonna get on the 22nd i'm just gonna couple that all together and hit the ground running you know what i mean um, i'm blessed in 2019 i just uh, more or less wish to after i win this title to just establish myself um i want to bring one big fight back home to my hometown of rochester and uh i I just want to, you know, I'm, I'm spearheading this new PBC leg, and uh, I, I want to be able to, to 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 be that face of the of the new PBC on Fox, and and that's my goal for 2019, and that's what's gonna happen. And to the listeners, um, thank you for following Willie Monroe, and thank you for following uh, my career because it's been a real roller coaster ride. It's been an up and down ride. It's been a long time coming. And for the real ones who stuck in there and, and and I fight for the ones you know I mean who who, who, who really know what it's like to fight, you know what I mean, not giving anything. I fight for the people who everything has been taken from them, and they still find a way to get back up and fight and um, thank you for following Willie Monroe Jr.
1: Very well said. You are a credit to the sport, Willie, and I'd like to thank you for your time this week. I'd like to wish you the very best for the 22nd, and I'd like to end this interview by saying, of course, there's an old saying, third time lucky, and God willing, your third world title challenge will be a successful one, sir. Speak soon. Awesome. Thank you, man. Third time this time. God bless you, bro. Okay, now it's part two on this week's show. This part, of course, the news part of the show. Iaz. what have you got for us?
2: So, To um, would defend her world titles against Eva Wallstrom at Madison Square Garden on the Canelo Alvarez versus Rocky Field and
1: undercard. Yeah, brilliant platform for de- to defend her world titles on. I mean, it's been announced on the 4th of December, so only 11 days out from the actual fight night. So, uh, you know, it's not really ideal. I'm guessing her opponent hasn't had enough time to prepare. And it's a bit unfortunate because her opponent's taking on arguably the best pound-for-pound fighter in women's boxing. So I feel sorry for the opponent, but... I don't know I feel like they kind of throw Katie Taylor on a card here and there to just put the cherry on the cake but it's a cherry that not everyone really wants you know it is what it is it's a brilliant platform for her I'm pleased for her but I'm not necessarily loving that you know we're going to see that fight. I'm sure it's going to get a nice slot on the TV. When I'd rather probably see a different fight with with someone that's actually had proper notice for for a fight. You know it doesn't have to be a world title fight, but you know it'd be a, a, a more competitive fight if you like. But yeah, I mean I can't tell Eddie Hearn what to do. And finally, David Price has been added to the Dillian White vs. Derek Underground. undercard. Yeah, he takes on Tom Little. Um, obviously, we haven't seen Tom Little, or I haven't seen Tom Little since he since he lost to Daniel Dubois. Um, you know, the thing about Tom Little is he comes and gives it a go, and he really shows up to fight. He's not really scared of anything, so he will turn up and try and put it on David Price. And to be honest, that's the worst style for David Price, um, you know. Tom Little's extremely confident, and it's a fight where you can't really count him out of because David Price has regressed so much or, you know, perhaps was never as good as what we thought. But Tom Little's going to come and give it a go, and I think that's, that could end up being a shootout. That could end up being a good fight. So, you know, it's, it's, it's not going to go the distance. We know that. Either Price is going to tag him with a proper big shot or um, or Tom Little's going to overwhelm him and end up forcing a stoppage. So... Quite an interesting fight, but it's not really worthy of a pay-per-view undercard. I mean, both guys are not even British level. So, uh, yeah, I mean, it's just mad some of these fights that get chucked on the pay-per-views. Is that it for the news you mentioned, Ayaz, yeah? Yes, that's it for the news. Okay, thank you very much. Ayaz. right, moving out now to Ireland. Let's start over here with the preview. In it's at the Royal Theatre in Castlebar. Friend of the show, Gary Spike O'Sullivan, his record twenty-eight and three. He's in an eight-round contest against Gabor Gorbix, a man that we've seen a few times over here, his record twenty-six and thirteen. All the very best to Spike. Moving out now to the Titanic Exhibition Centre in Belfast, Northern Ireland, United Kingdom. We've got Comrade Cummins, fifteen and two with one draw. Topping the bill against Brian Rose, 30-5 and five with one draw. That one is for the vacant WBO European middleweight title. Comrade Cummings is an underdog in that fight. I'm absolutely stunned about that. Um, anyone that's listening to this, maybe have a little dabble on that one there. Um moving out now to croatia at the kc Drazen petrovic in zagreb we have filip hergovic 6 and 0 he defends his wbc international heavyweight title against talo Perea, who is 11 and 3 with two draws i think has mixed it with some decent level um, in his losses but uh, you know it's a it's a good it's a good opponent actually at this stage of hergovic's career obviously hergovic the bronze medalist from the olympics moving out now to the Mecca at the Regent Circus in Swindon, United Kingdom. One or two fights to mention over here. We've got Harlem Eubank, 6-0. He takes on MJ Hall, who's 0-24 with one draw. Boy, oh boy. Moving out now to Sheffield in Yorkshire, United Kingdom. Uh, We didn't do the predictions on this, Ayaz, actually. So what I think I'm going to do is... um I'll put the, put the polls out now and then by the end of the show we'll you know we'll think about it and we'll make our predictions at the very end of the show and then hopefully the listeners have voted on theirs. So uh, we'll stay tuned on the predictions if we if we manage to do it. Obviously we're a bit tapped for time this week but let's start with the undercard here. We've got Kez Ashfak 3-0. He's in a six-rounder against Jay Carney who's 5-3 with two draws. We also have Kid Galahad in a tick-over fight. Kid Galahad 25-0. and He's in an eight-round contest against Brian Marina, who has a record of 10-4 with one draw. Galahad seems to get on every single Kell Brook undercard. Anthony Fowler, 8-0. He's in a 10-rounder. His opponent yet to be announced. Josh Kelly, he was on last week's podcast. His record, 8-0. He's in a 10-rounder against former world champion David Avanessian, who's also a friend of the show. 23-3 with one draw. That is a wicked fight, by the way. Um, the way they're moving Josh Kelly, I mean, it's, it's, it's quite unbelievable. Some people say he cherry picks, they're absolutely mad um, moving up the bill once again John O'Carroll, 16-0 and takes on Gwilym Frenoy who's got a record of 46-1 and quite a padded record for me Frenoy but he has got some great wins like I say, John O'Carroll was on the show last week so I absolutely hope he can win this fight because the winner gets that golden ticket and gets the fight against Tevin Farmer for the IBF World Title that's a 12 rounder there uh, Kel Brook tops the bill, 37 and two. He takes on Michael Zarafa, 25 and two. Zarafa, in his two losses, they came to Arif Magomedov, who got stopped by um, by Lewis Arias, and he also lost by knockout to Peter Quillin um, back in 2015. Uh, Peter Quillin stopped him in the fifth round. So, uh, yeah, I mean, aside from that, you look at his wins. He's got some. I mean, he's got some decent wins, but nothing that's that's going to tell me that he's going to be of any risk to Kell Brook. Um, that should be an easy win for Kell Brook, hopefully straight after the fight they announced that the Khan and Brook deal was done. But we're hearing lots and lots of rumors about Khan almost signing a £5 million guaranteed fight against Terence Crawford. I hope he doesn't take that fight. Um, yeah, that's it for that one. They're really moving out now to the StubHub Center in Carson, California. Going through this as quick as possible. This one's going to be on HBO. I think it's HBO's final fight um final fight card on on their channel before they pull out of boxing, but we have um, two women topping the, top the bill, or I should say four women because it's two fights, including women. Um, topping the bill, we've got Cecilia Brackhouse, her record 34-0. She takes on Alexandra Lopez, who's got a record of um, 18-4 and with three draws. This one is for Brackhouse's IBF, IBO, WBA, WBC, and WBO world female welterweight titles. She, of course, is trained by Jonathan Banks. Vladimir Klitschko's former trainer Breakhouse is one of the best women in boxing A lot of people have her pound for pound number one um, what a fighter she is and then also on the undercard, friend of the show and my duet partner, Clarissa Shields 7-0, she puts her IBF WBA and WBC world female middleweight titles on the line against Femke Hermans who's got a record of 9-1 and 1. both those fights I've mentioned there 10 round contests, 10 2 minute rounds of course, moving out now to the Fantasy Springs Casino in Indio, California, USA, this one's a Golden Boy Promotions card friend of the show, Hector Tanahara, his record 15 and 0. He's in a 10 round contest against Robert. Manzanares. Now, his record is 36-2. and two. That's a humongous mammoth step up there for Hector Tanahara. It's a 10-round contest. I'm hoping he gets the job done, but this is a real, real fight that he's got on his hands here. Um, this guy's mixed it with guys that have fought for world titles. So I think he, he's, he's lost his last fight, if I'm not mistaken, to Mercito Gesta. And I think he lost on a majority decision. And Gesta just fought Linares. So, uh, yeah this guy's mixed it with people that's really mixed it at top level and he's he's narrowly lost to them so uh very hard fight there for Hector Tanahara a prospect out of the Robert Garcia um boxing academy and now the the uh well, coming down to the one of the final bills to mention at the Bowie State University in Maryland, USA, we have a few friends at the show here. Michael Fox, eighteen and oh, that's the brother of Alontes Fox. This guy, Michael Fox, I think he makes one forty, and he's like six foot three. It's absolutely. Outrageous. He's in an eight-round contest. His opponent yet to be announced. Also, Hassim Rackman Jr., the son of the former heavyweight world champion Hassim Rackman. His record six and zero. Oh. he's in a six rounder against Kendrick Houston, who is one and three with one draw. Also, we have Lorenzo Simpson, a very good amateur standout. He's making his debut here in a four rounder. And we also have brother of my friend Michael Hunter. His younger brother, I think he's 26 years of age. He's a welterweight, undefeated 8 0. Keith Hunter, he's in a four-rounder, his opponent yet to be announced. And also, um, the other brother of Hassim Reckman um, Jr., his, his other brother, Sharif Reckman, 3-0. He's in a four-rounder, his opponent yet to be announced. And then coming down to the final bill at Madison Square Garden Theatre in New York, USA, we have... Um, well, two fights to mention really. We've got Isaac Dogbay, twenty and O, friend of the show. He puts his WBO World Super Bantamweight title on the line against Emmanuel Navaretti, who's twenty-five and one. That's a twelve rounder there, of course. Navaretti's only loss came in a four round fight. And it was really weird because his opponent didn't weigh in the day before. So he lost the fight on paper. But it was for some kind of small title, and they actually gave him the title because the guy didn't come to the way, and it was really weird. But anyway, he lost in a four-round fight, so that doesn't really mean too much um, he's now fighting Isaac Dogbo, and I tell you what, Navarrete can bang. I think he's got about 20-something knockouts. I think it's 22 knockouts from 25 wins, and then obviously top in the bill. It's a unification. It's the WBA Super World Lightweight title and the WBO World Lightweight title. Pedraza stole the WBO title away from Raimundo Beltran last time out. He upset the odds there, and here he takes on Vassil Lomachenko, 11-1. and Pedraza, obviously, 25-1. and one. The one loss came to Javante Davies. I'll tell you one thing. It's a good fight, though, I as I mean, I'm certainly picking Lomachenko to win against Pedraza, but Pedraza's no slouch. Aside from that one fight where he didn't look great against Javante, and Javante looked like an absolute beast, um, he, he's a good fighter, Pedraza. We've seen him in there with Stephen Smith. We've seen him in there with Beltran. He's got some skills about him. It's not, it's not a walk in the park for Lomachenko. I really don't think so.
2: I disagree with you right there, Joe, sorry to say, but I think Lomachenko's on a different planet, I think he's pound for pound starting, I think he's going to knock Pedraza out.
1: Okay, statement there, I mean, yeah, I think Lomachenko's on another planet, but I just think some people saying it's a complete mismatch, I think it's it's quite a decent fight, I think Pedraza's got some skills about him, but... um... Okay, I'll I, I leave it there. But yes, yeah, certainly a Lomachenko win for me. But like I say, we've really tried to whiz through everything as quick as possible. That is the end of the preview part of the show. We spent lots and lots of time ranting and raving about the review part. We brought you that. We brought you guest number one. We brought you the latest news. We brought you uh, the, the preview part just there. And just before we wrap up the show and ultimately end things, we need to bring you the last final piece, the last little gem, and that is to bring you guest number two. Ladies and gentlemen, please welcome the WBO Super Bantamweight World Champion. It is, of course, Mr. Isaac Dogbay. Isaac, welcome back on the show, my friend.
0: Neho, Neho, Neho. Thank you, Joey.
1: How oh. <laughs> It's my pleasure, my friend. Yeah, Neho, right back at you, by the way. Um, I'm very good. I'm very good, Isaac. So we last spoke back in September. It wasn't too long ago. I remember at the time I asked what you were doing for your birthday, and you didn't even know it was your birthday. So my first question, how was your birthday?
3: <laughs> it was great. You know, um, I, had a, I, had, I had a great fun, um, great fun and um, my father surprised me with a, with a brand-new car. So, I mean... Life can only get better, you know. So I'm I'm very thankful to God for giving me a new age and 24 years old. Great, great, and greater things just keep keeps happening to me.
1: Brilliant, man, brilliant. Um, you know, when we last spoke, I remember that you said that you'd be very interested in seeing the outcome of the Daniel Roman versus Gavin McDonald fight. Did you get a chance to watch it, Isaac? If so, what did you make of it?
3: Um, I saw a few highlights of the fight. I mean, um. And Roman is a great guy. He did what he had to do, and he's um, got Barry McDonald. So I mean, right now all we are asking for is for unification fight. You know, we can do that in the UK. I mean, UK fans and and, uh, and fans globally, and they want to see it. They want to see a great fight. They want to see the best fight, the best. So right now we've got a task ahead of us, and we have to focus on that. And as you might know, another another tough. Mexican fighter, you know, it's one of the, he's one of Me- Mexico's finest fighters, and um, we have to um, take him out, we have to get rid of him first, and then continue with our search for the unification fight.
1: Yeah, for sure. And you mentioned that that guy there, Emmanuel Navarrete. That fight takes place this weekend. His record's twenty-five and one, and that one loss was on points over four rounds. So you can't really read into that too much. He does, however, have twenty-two knockouts in his twenty-five wins. This guy can clearly punch Isaac.
3: Of course. And the thing is that has he ever been punched by Isaac? Does he? You I don't know, think so he that's has. a question that <laughs> we all have to find out. Come Saturday night.
1: And once again, you're giving away a lot of height here, um, Isaac. Do you like fighting bigger guys, or is it really because you don't have much of a choice?
3: Well, I don't really have much of a choice anyway, because um, I mean, I was I was I, I was the same size when I just when I when when I when I, I took the world title ever since I've been fighting. So I mean, I'm not going to grow overnight. So it's just um, it's just something that we have to deal with. I have no problem fighting four people. And um, in the end, I always say that the battle is not my own. So once you get in the ring, you always find ways and means to adapt and also, you know, to to get rid of our opponents.
1: And you're coming off of five stoppages in a row. Um, Navarrete is coming off of eight stoppages in a row. That's a lot of stoppages, especially for Super Bantamweight. Does this fight end in a stoppage or do you see it going the distance, Isaac?
3: I mean, this is a tough fight that TV likes to see. You know we are fighting on ESPN and fans globally. I mean, they, they, they're the kind of things that they, they like. This is the kind of thing that they, that they love. You know, two, two, two fighters who love to knock their opponents out. So I mean, things can only get better. You know, it's so like I see, um two trains are, two trains will be colliding. So come Saturday night, there we're going to see, you know, um, a great fight. A potential um, candidate, fight of the year. You know, because two guys who love, who love to punch, you know, we we, we both get punch hungry and we we'll just want to get at each other and just, you know, I know that God willing, Tom Saturday night, I'm going to be on top and um I'm going to show um my class, I'm going to show my level. You know, Emmanuel you Navarrete, he's strong, he's strong, he can fight, he's tall and rangy. I mean, um we just have to, like I said, wad we'll up. Any situation, anything that he
1: throws at us, and of course you're fighting on Lomachenko's undercard. Firstly, Isaac, are you a are you a fan of Lomachenko? And secondly, your last fight was on the undercard of Beltran Pedraza, and obviously Pedraza pulled off the upset that night. Do you believe Pedraza has a chance of pulling off once again another upset when he when he fights Lomachenko on Saturday?
3: Well, you know, um, I mean, these guys are great fighters. You can't really take anything away from them. This is boxing and anything can happen. I mean, I wish them both best of luck. Um, Yeah, they are are credit to the sports and they just have to do what they have to do. Uh, You know, they have to entertain the crowd. And, I mean, it can only get better.
1: And coming down to the last couple of questions, Isaac, um, did you get a chance to watch Tyson Fury take on Deontay Wilder? If so, what were your thoughts on that fight and the whole outcome?
3: Actually, I didn't get a chance to watch the fight, but... um, Uh. I saw a few highlights of it. Um, I mean, I can't really pass any judgment on it because I didn't see it. And I cannot base my opinion upon opinions of other people.
1: Yeah, that's fair enough, and and like I say before, um, when 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 we spoke last time out, it was just a few weeks away from your birthday. Now we're just a few weeks away from Christmas. Um, what will you be getting up to come Christmas time, Isaac? What will happen um, for you, and and obviously going into the new year as well? Much celebration?
3: You know, um, Christmas is a time that we spend with our families and our loved ones, and um, I just can't wait to to get rid of Navarrete and then go back go back home, you know, to my hometown. Um, well, first we'll be going to London and then from there go back to my hometown in Ghana and Yako, you know, to celebrate the Christmas with, with my people, with my people there, you know, they're waiting for my arrival so that we all, you know, join together and give praise and thanks to the almighty God, the one that has been giving me victory, the one who is who will be giving me victory come this Saturday night.
1: Very well said, my friend. And finally, Isaac, just before we let you go, have you got any kind of last closing words just for the listeners before we let you go?
3: All I've got to say is, Neho, ne-ho, 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 ne-ho. <laughs> Everyone should come down to the Madison Square Garden. It's going to be fireworks. You know, every, you all know. Just come and, have, and, and witness it for yourself. You know, great fight, entertaining fight. I just dug a take on you know, Emmanuel Navarrete a tough Mexican warrior. And look, all I can say is that you just get down there and let's um let's have it let, let, let's have a ball, you know. This is a big apple this is a big apple. I think this way we have landed. The boys are back in town. The warriors are back in town. And we can't wait, you know, to give you to give you an entertaining fight, you know, to to, to, to give you a knockout to all of our global fans.
1: And I'm thoroughly looking forward to that, Isaac. I wish you all the very best for Saturday. Thank you once again for speaking to us, my friend. And I'll be tuning in live for sure. I hope that we catch up sometime in the new year. All the very best till then.
3: Thank you, too. you for having me on your show. God bless. Take care.
1: Okay, and this wraps up episode 164 of the Box Hard Podcast. I've been your host, Joey Coastman. as summer has been as summer Because this week's show was so jam-packed with the talking, with the interviews, with this and that, we completely forgot to put the polls out on Twitter, and therefore this week there won't be any Prediction League. So I'm very, very sorry about that um, for those that really like to get involved in that. It will return next week, though, so keep an eye out for that. I'll tell you what I'm going to do, though, as a replacement um, this week for, for me. Out on the prediction league, we're going to do a T-shirt competition. All you've got to do is leave us a review on iTunes. The best review will win a box hard podcast T-shirt, and I will personally get Iaz to post it out for you. A big thank you to our two guests on this week's show: the undefeated WBO World Super Bantamweight Champion Mr. Isaac Dogbay and the two-time world title challenger Mr. Willie Monroe Jr. All the very best to both men. There, the biggest thanks of all though goes out to you, the listeners. Enjoy your weekends, people. Stay safe and we shall catch you all again next week.